Today's date is November 20th. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages one, two, and part of three. Liz will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute chair by Kathy M. It's my great pleasure, and I really look forward to hearing from Kathy. Um, I will let you know, Kathy, uh, when you have a few minutes left. It's all yours. Oh, I imagine I should read now, Ben? Yes. Chapter one, Bill's story. War Weaver ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. And we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Cheer was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies the Campshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A cold soldier, a cold, a good soldier is near forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went at home at last. I fancied myself the leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation? My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I was still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements. But my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. I believe that's where I should start then. They told me one more paragraph. Okay. We gave up our positions and off we roared, roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tent blankets, a change of clothes and three huge volumes of financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. 
I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money. But we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street occurred me a position, a position there and the use of a large expense account. Exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars that year. Thank you, Liz. And once again, uh, I screwed up this order. As probably most of you know, I introduced the speaker without, without um, having uh, Liz read uh, today's reading. So I'm going to try this again. I have one more week to go as moderator. I hope that maybe the last, the last week of the month, I might actually get this thing right and uh, have a seamless hour. Um, but uh, it, it hasn't happened yet. But in any event, um, it's my pleasure uh, to introduce Kathy, who's going to share about today's reading. Kathy? Thanks, Ben. And thank you for allowing me to be imperfect too today. That's um, a wonderful gift this morning. Um, good, good morning, everyone. I'm Kathy M. I'm a recovered compulsive eater living in Dublin, Georgia, not Dublin, Ireland. And um, just to get started, it, it hit me the other day that when I introduce myself, I tell you a lot about me. Um, I am a compulsive eater. And having just finished reading the doctor's opinion together, um, we know that what that means is that I have an allergy of the body and that I have this adverse, it hurts me, abnormal. It's not the way my body was intended to work. Automatic because as my hand goes from whatever I'm grabbing to my mouth, there's no thought process anymore. I have that reaction, that kind of a reaction to certain foods and certain amounts and certain eating behaviors. And um, once I get going, I can't stop myself. I also have a, a problem with my mind. The big book variously calls it a mental phenomenon a mental twist, a mental blank spot, but I, um, I can't keep from going back. I will not remember. I will not know what I know in the minute that I finish a binge. I will not know that the next day. So, um, yeah, I've got this, I've got this twofold problem and luckily I have a twofold solution too. If I stay out of the list of things that's personal to me, maybe different from yours, but if I stay out of those things, um, if I don't do the behaviors, I, I won't set off that physiologic reaction. And if I work these steps, I will get relief from that uh, problem with my mind. The mental twist will no longer come and grab me and I can have food neutrality. I love that y'all read the 10-step promises um, up front um, in, the, uh, in this meeting because those are the ones that I use to define for me what recovered means. And I did use that word when I introduced myself. The big book tells me that I'm recovered. I'm recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And those 10-step promises give me an idea of what that is. That is, I'm not going into those foods. I'm not tempted by those foods. I'm not um, worried about what you're eating or about what I'm eating. 
Um, it's it's uh, it's a totally different reaction from what it used to be, where food and eating and not eating were my those were my day. That was my day. That was where my mind was all the time. And uh, I'm having a totally different reaction now. Um, I am not cured. I like to say that up front. I know that because the big book tells me that. And I also know it because every, uh, every time uh, one of you speaks and tells me your story, I know that um, your truth is my truth. And that if I eat those things or eat in those ways, I will go back. And if I stop working the steps, uh, my mind will lose uh, lose the protection that it's been given by a higher power, and it will tell me that this is going to be okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm a recovered compulsive eater. I also mentioned that I'm living in Dublin. I am living a different kind of life now. Um, Bill's stories, I, I watch him as he he talks about all of the things happening in his life, but there's this undercurrent of of what the drink is doing to and for him that he's just not always focused on as he tells us his story. And that was what was going on with me before. Um, yes, I was living life, but I was also um, constantly caught up in the food, constantly caught up in weight, constantly caught up in numbers flying through my head, the numbers on the scale, the numbers of calories, the numbers of this. My mind was a hot mess. I like to describe it as a pinball machine. Boom, 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 boom. Um, couldn't, couldn't really focus on living life. And now I get to. Um, I'm, you know, when we say we're recovered compulsive eaters, that does not mean that we have, um, that uh, all our troubles in life or all our crazy thinking or all of our feelings have, have gone away and gotten better. It means that we have a way of dealing with those every day so that we don't have to stay caught up in it. So when I wake up and, and something comes at me, I, I have a, a method, a way of, of uh, coping and a way of um, reattaching to my higher power. Uh, and it's it's I'm really grateful for this. So that's that's what my introduction tells you. If you know what to to listen for, I'm really excited. We're getting started on Bill's story. Um, it's the original podium speech. You know, back in a time when people only had books and um, letters, snail mail, to communicate with each other. Bill was trying to set us up with a um, with a story of what the disease looks like and what the recovery looks like the the original what it was like what happened and what it's like now and uh he's he's going to start us out with what it was uh what it was like um i like to look for the similarities and not the differences we're trained to do that when we read the big book because uh, we're talking about alcohol here and um Great word because it covers every single behavior this compulsive eater has ever done without me having to list 35 things for you um, that uh, are my problem. We can just say alcohol. That works for me. Shorthand for, for what Kathy um, does and has done with, um, with food. But um, he, is, he is giving us the, the original here. Um, his story is to reach out to people and help them identify in, to help them understand what alcoholism might look like, and in my case, what compulsive eating might look like, to begin to uh, realize what the disease process is. If they didn't believe the doctor's opinion, then he's going to repeat it again in here in his story. Um, he's going to um, 
talk to us about what happened, the the uh, the experiences he had with Abby and with Doctor Silkworth and and with others that um, helped him change his mind and then got him to work the steps and be relieved of this disease. And he's going to talk to us about what it's like now, and that's going to be fun when we get to there. Um, there's some differences, but if you'll listen to the similarities between you and Bill, and then also you'll notice differences between my story and yours. Um, when my disease started, the, the how fast it progressed, what the specific behaviors or foods were. Um, don't listen for those. If they resonate with you, great, but if they don't, um, listen for the similarities. Um, the disease process itself, the way we think, the way we feel, those will help you out. The, the differences will, the, will separate you from me and from Bill. The similarities will bring us together. So I'd like to look down at ominous warning and tell y'all a little bit about my story um, so that we can see some ominous warnings in my life. Bill, Bill uh, read, uh, wrote down this little doggerel, a, a whimsical, piece of poetry that some of the drinking buddies I suspect of this um, of this guy uh, put on his tombstone and then at the at the base he says ominous warning which I failed to heed you know that could tell us that Bill should have heeded the warning but I don't think it that he should have heeded the warning I don't see in anything in the next couple of pages that say to me why in the world he would notice that he had a problem with alcohol he was focused on his work he was focused on his wife he was enjoying the alcohol he was um he, his mind was not on looking for alcohol as a problem. His mind was on looking for alcohol as a solution. So I don't think he was supposed to heed these at this point. We notice the warnings when we finally notice the warnings. So I, I, I'm one of those people who was born a compulsive eater. I'm pretty certain of that. I um, went to the doctor twice before I was a year old because of compulsive overeating. When I was four months old, my mom took me to the pediatrician because I had, um, I was demanding food and I was constantly demanding food. Now I was this roly poly cute little thing and there are pictures of me back then, but uh, obviously I was not starving, but I was demanding food constantly. And the doctor uh, suggested she didn't have enough milk, put me on the um, formula of the day, which was canned um, concentrated milk with water and caro syrup in it. I could still feel my little baby heart pitter patter over caro syrup. And um, two months later, I showed up in the doctor's office. I had turned orange and uh, the doctor started asking her some questions. And it turned out that his suggestion that she also start me on solids had been accepted. And um, I would eat a jar of um, squash and then I would eat a jar of um, pumpkin and then I would eat a jar of sweet potato and I would eat a jar of carrots. And this was all at one meal. I'm six months old. I would be screaming my head off for more food. I'm, I suspect that I was a compulsive eater already then. So I don't have any memories back that far. And I shouldn't have heeded that warning because I was too little to. But my first memory in life, not my first memory of eating, but my first memory in life was um, me in the kitchen um, digging my way through a whole uh, bag of balloon bread uh, that my mom had just bought at the grocery store and the four sticks of butter that she had just 
um, gotten at the grocery store. She was outside hanging clothes on the line. I don't remember the kind of um, reaction she had when she came in and found those wrappers in the bottom of the trash can. I'm, I'm sure I've blocked that out, but I remember that day. And I don't think it was because I was doing the eating. And I don't think it was the first time I'd done the eating. I think it was probably because of the reaction that she had to it. But I think that I was in trouble very, very early on. But I was one of those people that was very active and I hid in plain sight. And um, for decades, I hid in plain sight. Uh, I worried about weight. I started on diets. Um, and at 103 pounds in high school, I was on my first diet. Um, I think that that probably was what actually tossed me over the cliff, was finding out that there was a way to control what I was eating, that the um, 15 or 20 ice cream sandwiches could be um, uh, taken care of through um, dieting and exercise. And I think that really, really sent me, um, sent me into trouble. But I did hide in plain sight until I was about 30. And um, three babies and compulsive eating and an inability to keep up with the kind of um, uh, exercise that an exercise bulimic has to do in order to uh, deal with uh, 24 donuts and stuff like that. Um, finally, it began to catch up with me and my weight began to yo-yo. And y'all know the yo-yo, you know, some, some normal people do this and they yo-yo. Okay, that's fine. But my yo-yo looked like this and this and this and shot off the charts. Um, somewhere in my 40s, it became obvious to people that I, I was eating a little bit more than I needed. Um, had a few complaints from family members. Nothing, no big deal. I still could not heed the ominous warnings that were happening. The fact that I was starting to have physical problems from what I was eating, the um, fact that I was that I was getting comments from family, the fact that I was furiously unhappy about the way clothes fell, the clothes fit, that I couldn't pack for a trip, that I couldn't be kind to other people because my head was off in the food, that I wanted my kids to go to bed early because I wanted to be able to go binge. None of those things seemed like a warning to me. It also didn't warn me when family members and friends had trouble with compulsive eating and had medical problems from it. Those things didn't didn't come to mind. Um, you know, when the food's in front of you, the warnings don't make any difference at all. They just really, really don't. By the time I was in my 50s, um, something had happened that I swore never would. You know, here's this girl that hides in plain sight. Her weight's not really an issue, hasn't really been something that other people noticed. She hated it, but other people weren't really paying attention to it. Wasn't tremendously impacting my life. No, you know, Earlier in my life, I was not the lady who had to get a, um, an extender for the uh, seat in the airplane, but now I was. I, um, I became obese. I could no, no longer um, diet. I lost that ability completely. I mislaid the little diet switch that I'd always had. You know, I'd always had a diet switch, and sometimes I couldn't find it, and it would take me time to locate it. But um, uh, I, at this point, I could no longer locate it. It was not there. And it frightened me. It really, really frightened me. And for four years, I tried desperately to reconnect with all of the ways that I had eaten and, um, and, and dieted and gotten rid of the food. I tried to reconnect with it. And I was simply a, a binge eating and grazing machine instead. 
um, and it got worse. And that's the story we're told to tell from the, from the podium is that um, it got worse. I noticed that um, one thing Bill said um, on page two is out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. An alloy is a mixture of two metals. And in his case, it was a mixture of drink and speculation of alcohol and how he was living his life. It's a mixture that retains both pro the properties of both metals, but it also has new properties. For me, the mixture was food and eating and my way of thinking and acting. And between the two very, very sick things, I forged a weapon that had, at, by that point, cut me to ribbons, and I still could do nothing about it. So, what happened? One morning, after 376 previous days in a row of me getting up, absolutely determined that that day I was going to quit that this was not going to happen again, that I would not graze, I would not binge, I would not eat the stuff that was obviously a problem for me. I woke up that morning, 377th day, and by golly, I was desperate from the night before, and I was determined again. And at the end of the day, I got up out of my chair. I'd eaten pretty normally. I'd eaten what I thought was okay, and I got up out of my chair, and I headed to the kitchen, and I opened the refrigerator door, and I stood there worshiping the light that came on, and I know that some of y'all know, know that doing that, that action of seeing what, seeing what the light does, and I was looking at what was in there, and I was trying to decide what to break my abstinence with. I didn't know what abstinence was. I hadn't showed up in no way yet, but um, I... Uh, I was sitting, standing there, and all of a sudden, their thought came to me that I can't stop myself. And that was my step one. And then the thought came to me, I don't know whether there is a God or not, but if you're there, I really, really need some help. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And that was my step two and three. Pretty darn simple, not as elegant as what some of you have taken. I wasn't on my knees taking the, doing the third step prayer with someone, but I was absolutely done. I was finished. Ten years before, a friend of mine had mentioned OA to me. 30-second, you know, that little elevator speech. She'd said, you know, when I was fussing about a diet, and I was also talking in the same voice, I was talking about my son going into AA and desperately needing that because he couldn't quit drinking. Um, she, uh, she had mentioned OA to me. And in that moment, I heard a little voice because I was listening. I mean, you know, you got this, this step one, two, three moment and you're listening for just a second. It's only a moment. If I had bypassed that moment, I think I would have gone right back in the food and y'all would have had, had a different speaker this morning and I might be dead by now because the food was really, really killing me at that point couldn't walk, couldn't do a whole lot of things in life. But this little voice said, you remember that group OA that Cindy told you about 10 years ago? Go find them and do what they say. So I went to the computer. Luckily, we had computers in 2009. 
I went to the computer. I found OA. I called. Somebody answered. Y'all answer your calls if you possibly can. I understand about living life. I know sometimes you're at work. I know sometimes you've got a family commitment. Right now, I'm on the um, I'm on Zoom sharing my story, so I'm not gonna uh, pick up my phone right now. But when you can answer them, because she answered the phone and she talked with me for a little while. I don't remember much of what she said, but I do remember that she told me. She said do you have anything to read? Any program literature? And I said, well, I've got a big book. I've been reading that the last month or two to try to understand my son better. And she said, read the big book, read it from a point of view of food. She said, go to a meeting, find a sponsor and do what your sponsor tells you to do. So I did. Took me 10 days to show up in a meeting. I had to drive 155 miles to a meeting in Atlanta because that was the closest one for me, but I showed up. Anybody wants to talk about going to any links? I did that for the whole, uh, the next six months, I went three days a week to Atlanta to a meeting because there wasn't one and I didn't think I could possibly start one in my little town. So I went there and then I started going to AA meetings in, in Dublin. But uh, yeah, that that was what happened. I worked, this, I put down the food that night. I mean, I did not pick up. That's my abstinence day. Kathy, yes, two minutes. Thank you so much. All righty. That was my abstinence date, May 20th, 2009. I went to a, a meeting as soon as I could. I listened. I was so lucky. There were big book people in that room. What if, what if I hadn't been reading the big book for my son? What if there hadn't been big book people in that room? What if there hadn't been an available female sponsor who was a big book person in that room but I got me a sponsor she handed me a, a shoebox full of Joe and Charlie tapes and she said take those home to Dublin and listen to those and she said and then we'll talk again and I went back and forth to see her I worked the steps didn't work them as quickly as um, we do now as I encourage my sponsees to do now it was three months before I showed up at a meeting and pulled one of the big book people to one side and said, Charles, I don't understand what's happening to me, but something's changing. I feel different. I said, the food's no longer calling my name. I'm starting to have a real connection with, with um, a God I don't even understand or know yet. I, I, something is changing. And he, start, he started laughing, you know, how we'll do sometimes with a newcomer. And he said, the Kathy, that's recovery. Um, since then, every single day, I've had to get up and work these steps um, in some way, shape or form. I'm so imperfect. If you ask me questions, you're going to laugh at my answers because I'm so imperfect at this. But God doesn't need perfection. He needs for me to get up each day knowing who I am. I'm a compulsive eater, knowing what my life and my family's life would be like if I didn't work this program. Um, enjoying being here you go to meetings till you want to be there you answer phone calls until you want to answer phone calls you work steps until you want to work the steps and um, that's what my life is like today I eat normally it's not a big deal I look normal I'm not normal but I, I from the outside it looks uh, it's not calling my name I'm focused in on my spiritual life. I'm focused in on my relationships. I'm, I'm focused in on asking my higher power um, what I should be doing today and who I should be. And to the best of my ability, carrying that out, the power that my higher power gives me. 
Uh, it's a different way of living. And uh, I hope this share has been of service to someone here. I hope it speaks to someone and keeps you here and keeps you doing the work. Thanks for letting me share.